I love the Bible, which is handy because I'm, you know, pastor of a Bible church. So that's, that's cool. Uh, it'd be awkward otherwise, I guess. But it's, it's more than that. I say it all the time, but it, it, it awes me to think that the Bible is actually God communicating with us. I mean, what could be more important than that? We have instructions from God. It teaches us who God is. And it teaches us who we are. And it teaches us how to live a life that honors God and draws people to God. And it's a life that's rich and satisfying and abundant for us. And it's a life that lasts forever. So yeah, the Bible is important and amazing and awesome and powerful and beautiful and sometimes really confusing. Because like, what are, what are us Jesus people supposed to do with passages in the Bible that look like they endorse slavery and violence? And what are we supposed to do with these passages that seem like they stand in direct opposition to provable science? And what about all these passages that say there's only one way to God? There's, there's 10,000 religions in the world. And what about all this stuff about polygamy and misogyny and women being quiet in church? It could be confusing. And so the reason we're doing this series is it's easy for us to just skip over those hard passages. It's easy for us just to ignore them. And then when we're asked about them, we don't know what to say or we don't know what to think or we don't know what to believe. And we lose maybe even our own faith, but for sure we lose our chance to tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, imagine if I'm talking to a woman and I say, oh, Jesus loves you and he sees you as being created in the image of God and he has this plan for eternal life for you and it's a rich life and an abundant life. And she goes, really? Well, then how come he says I have to be quiet in church? And how come he says I have to honor men and submit to men no matter how they talk to me and no matter how they treat me? (laughs) It's like, what's your best response to that? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it does kind of say that. So, you know, I guess you're right. You know, maybe the Bible is garbage. And the problem isn't that the Bible is garbage. And the problem is not that we're taking it too seriously. The problem is that we're taking the Bible too lightly. The Bible is God communicating with us. And it deserves more than a quick skim through and a quick read over. These, these surface readings, these, these light understandings just don't hold up when people ask us real questions. They don't hold up when we have real questions. We, we, we need to try harder than that, and we need to dig deeper than that. And so today, let's talk about women and the church. It's pretty crowded in here today, and I'm just thinking we need to open up some seats anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> we could theoretically be half this size next week, so at least we'll have space. Um, before we get into this, let's, let's choose, let's make a choice, right, that we are not going to come at this arrogantly, and we're not going to come at this assuming we have all the answers, and we're not going to come at this looking for a way to disagree or fight or defend a position. And... We're not gonna come at this saying, well, I know more scriptures than you, so I'm automatically gonna win this argument. Instead, let's, let's come at this with humility. And let's just, let's just try the best we can together 
by the power of his spirit and with the brains he's given us. Let's don't try to prove what we've always thought. Let's instead really try to really understand what it's really trying to say to us. Amen? I'm gonna need a louder amen than that. Okay. So last week we saw the misogyny and male dominance in the Bible were really all about man's sinful pride and flawed view of women because God showed his view in the garden. And his view was that male and female humans were of equal value and dignity and calling. And that was derived not from their gender, their value and their dignity and their calling was derived from being created in God's image. And so men and women were the same, right? And yet they were weirdly really different. And that was intentional because God wanted them to work like together and to complement each other. And each one was gonna be doing and being what the other one couldn't. You know, one of the great commissions that God gave man was to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Can you see how that works best when we work together? Neither of them would have had much luck on that by themselves. So anyway, it was a really awesome sermon if you missed it. My mom thought it was really good. Uh, But we ran out of time when we got to the New Testament. We got to some really confusing stuff that Paul said to the churches there, like 1 Timothy 2.9, Paul writes, I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. Here it comes, verse 11. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let a woman teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Does that sound like equal value and dignity and calling to you? Okay, how about this one? 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Uh, Women should be silent. Paul wrote both of these. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to even speak. They should be submissive, like the law says. If they have any questions, they can ask their husbands when they get home. For it is, that's what it, I'm not, that's what it says right there. They can ask their husbands when they get home. It's improper for a woman to speak in a church meeting. So is that it? Is that it? We can wrap this thing up right now. God says women should not only not lead or not teach, they're not even allowed to talk in church. So I can see why somebody might read this and say, wow, the Bible is really demeaning to women. If you were sharing with a woman about Jesus, and she said the Bible is demeaning to woman, to women. What, what, would, what would you say to that? Can, can we start with admitting that this is hard to understand? Nod your heads. Can we start with admitting this is hard to understand? I mean, it's not, it's not as simple as just saying, well, that's what it says. Because it says, look what it says. It says women should never even speak in church, but that, that can't be what it means. Because two pages earlier in 1 Corinthians 11.5, in the same letter to the same church, written by the same guy, Paul gives instructions that women should wear hats when they prophesy and when they lead the prayers in church. So we're missing something. Can we, can we come at this humbly 
Can we come at this and say it's not obvious? It's not super, super clear. And remember, we can't just, we can't just cherry pick a verse, right? We talked about that. We can't just cherry pick a verse. The whole, we have to look at the whole story, right? We have to look at the whole story. And, and the whole attitude of these two verses seem to be really contrary to what we saw in the garden. It seems to be against God's view of women all through the Bible. Because in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see God calling and elevating and empowering women to be military leaders and judges and prophets and deacons and disciples and apostles and evangelists. Even the first witnesses to tell the world about the resurrected Christ were women. So can we just humbly admit this is not easy and it's not obvious? Can we do that? Say yes. Very good. So we're gonna, we're gonna try in humility. It's God speaking to us. There's bound to be a little barrier, right? It's him. Um, we're gonna try. We're gonna really try to really understand what it's really trying to say to us. And one helpful tool that we've been using to do this is this really great book called How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. A lot of what I'm teaching is kind of right out of this book. Super, super good book. Um, one of the best things we've gotten from that book is what I'm calling the rules of engagement. And we'll put them on the screen for you there. But the rules of engagement kind of, it's like every time you read the Bible, um, specifically if you read confusing stuff or if you read hard stuff, we should remember these rules. And rule number one is the Bible is a library and not a book. It's a lot of books. It's a lot of scrolls by a lot of authors in a couple of different languages written over 1,500 years in several different genres. And so let's talk about that first. What kind of, what genre of writing are 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians? Are they poems? Are they stories? Are they laws? Are they biographies? Are they reference books? Are they recipes? What are we reading? They're letters. The word epistle means Letters, And we've said this before, but when we read these books, we are literally reading someone else's mail. So it's the Bible, but we have to remember rule of engagement number two. It's written for us, but this wasn't written to us. These are real letters written by a real person, Paul, and he wrote them to real specific people in a real specific place at a real specific time in a real specific world in a real specific culture. So first and second Timothy are letters that Paul wrote to a young pastor he was mentoring named Timothy. Good, that's awesome. Uh, first and second Corinthians were letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. So if he had written them to the, to the church at Bolverde, it would be called first and second Bolverdians, right? It's first and second Corinthians. And so Paul had gotten word that there was a lot of trouble in that church. And so he said, maybe I can help. So he wrote them this Letter. So when Paul says women should be silent in church, if it can't be the obvious thing, um, because that goes against God's view of women and because it disagrees with what he said two pages earlier, if it can't be the obvious thing, then what, what could it mean? What, what could it mean? What, what could it mean? What, what, is Paul, what is Paul saying? And the answer is, I'm not exactly sure. Is that okay? Is that okay? Is it okay for us to say? I mean, this is hard. Um, it, it doesn't, he says this, then he says this. It can't be both. Would you, can we just, it's, I'm not exactly sure. I know we didn't mean they just, no woman can ever speak in church, but what does he mean? And it's really, it's hard. Um, Paul's answering specific questions, 
but we don't know what the questions are. So Paul's giving us all these answers. I was just talking about this to somebody this morning, but like, have you ever sent a text to somebody and it's like four questions and that's all it is? And then they text back four answers? So it's like, yes, no, three o'clock, tuna fish, right? <laughs> Imagine somebody getting that text, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense because I, it, the answers would make a lot more sense if we knew the questions. And we don't have the questions. So I think it's okay for us to say it's kind of hard to know exactly what it meant, when we, what the answer means, when we're not really sure what the question was. So just for fun, can I throw out a couple of possibilities? Can I throw out some things that maybe could have been going on that would have made sense for Paul to say that weird stuff? Um, one thing is, I think it could have been about order in the church. A lot of this letter in Corinthians is about order in the church. In fact, just before he says the dreaded words, women should be silent. Just look a couple of verses above that, and he says that when somebody is prophesying or when somebody is preaching, everybody should be silent. And he also says if two or three people are speaking in tongues and no one has an interpretation, then they should be silent. So maybe this whole passage is, instead of just picking that little verse out, maybe this whole passage is he just wanted to have more order in their church services. I mean, these were, their church services were pretty casual. They were house churches, you know? So there's probably a lot of talking over each other and kids running around and the TV's on in the other room, right? So, and also men and women sat on opposite sides of the room, and so that made something interesting because up until this, women weren't allowed to know Torah. Women weren't allowed to go to school or learn to read or learn anything. So I could envision a situation where all the men are over here and all the women are over here, and halfway through the sermon, the women are asking their husbands, hey honey, what's he talking about? Right? I thought you said that was Jacob, right? And so like these t conversations are going back and forth. So maybe, I mean, maybe, and Paul is saying, you know what, just tell the women to be quiet, be silent, you can talk about it when you get home. Is that, a, is that the solution? Uh, is that a solution? Yeah, maybe, maybe, it's hard. Um, also in Ephesus, I know there was, this is where Timothy's church was, there was a goddess of Artemis temple there. So there's this temple there where they're worshiping this Artemis and there was a lot of Artemis worshipers converting to Christianity. And it's possible that they were trying to bring some of the Artemis worship stuff into the Christian church, which was their, their worship was very sexualized and um, a lot of temple prostitution and that kind of stuff. And so maybe Paul was saying to Timothy, look, don't let those women bring all that stuff in the church. They need to lose all the fancy braids and all the makeup. Tell your women to throttle it back. Maybe, maybe. Um, if you read in Acts 19, you'll see a story of a riot that happened in Ephesus. And that was when all the, all the worshipers of Artemis were saying, we don't want the church here. So maybe some of them were women, and that's who was causing all the ruckus in the church? Maybe. Or it could have been about people just staying in their lane. You know, in this culture, there was a really powerful, it was a whole, it was a culture of respect for the rabbi, right? For the guy that's doing the talking. There was a whole lot of respect for him. And so, you know, it would be incorrect for somebody to stand up and challenge him or something like that, but it would be especially incorrect if it was somebody that didn't know Torah. It'd be especially correct if it was somebody that didn't know the Bible, that didn't know how to read. How are they gonna correct the rabbi? And remember, no women 
knew how to read up until this. No women knew Torah. Up, nobody had had, no women had had theological training of any kind. So, I mean, it, maybe, we, we don't know what the questions were. So it's kind of hard to understand exactly what he was trying to address. But I think it's obvious that what it wasn't was just that women should be silent in church because that would mean the Bible contradicts itself. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's not that God or Paul or the Bible hates women and holds them down because as we saw last week, even in these super patriarchal male dominant societies, God values women and empowers women and uses women. Jesus elevated women and so did Paul. I mean, in, in that culture, they probably thought Paul was like a radical feminist. Women were looked at differently 2,000 years ago. I'm gonna show you a quote from a guy. He was a famous historian, philosopher, really well-respected guy. His name is Josephus. He's not in the Bible, but um, here's what he had to say. The woman in all things is inferior to the man, so let her be accordingly obedient. That, that's, you wanna know, there's a, there's a snapshot right there of the popular view of women in that culture. In the Talmud, we, should, we see some old uh, Hebrew prayers, and one of the prayers that the rabbis would pray was, thank you, God, that I was not born an imbecile or a dog or a woman. That's the world that this is coming into. Women were treated like pets. Women were treated like, like slaves to men. They weren't allowed to go to school. They weren't allowed to learn. It was considered shameful for a man to lower himself, to even speak to a woman in public. And yet here's Paul saying, let the women learn quietly. And I think for us in our world, right, it sounds really anti-women because he added that last word, quietly, right? Let the women learn quietly. He probably actually meant in peace. He probably actually meant let the women learn in peace. But it doesn't matter, to them then, the fact that Paul said, let the women learn, that was shocking. That was like radical feminism. I can picture all the old Jewish rabbis sitting around with their curly little sideburns and their robes and their little prayer box and all that stuff saying, who is this Paul? He's saying women can come in the synagogue with us? He's saying if they'll cover their head, they can, they can speak in church? They can lead a prayer? They, they can prophesy? That's scandalous. That, that, would, that would have been unheard of to them. So in that world, Paul was like a radical feminist, and he may have learned that from Jesus because Jesus was constantly elevating people to a higher place, including women. So, yeah, it's hard to know exactly what was going on I don't know the problems that Paul was writing to solve. Um, maybe it was one of those things that I said, or maybe it was something different, but it can't actually mean that all women in all churches for all time should be silent in church. So next thing is, if this wasn't written to us, maybe it was a specific issue that he was writing to solve, then how is it for us? If this wasn't written to us, okay, we get that. That was a specific thing. But how is it for us? How is it, how's it supposed to help us? Should we even read it? Like how, how is God communicating with us in these letters, and what is he really trying to say to us? And I think that these things, and a lot of stuff in the Bible, teach us transcendent truths 
that are always true, transcendent truths, but they teach them to us by showing us manifestations of those truths. And the manifestations may be specific or, or temporary. So a couple definitions. When we say transcendent, what do we mean? That's like um, beyond what we see or it's above what we understand. That's transcendent. So higher, bigger, eternal truths, those are transcendent truths, right? And then manifestations are like um, the evidence of something. So like what comes out of it? What comes out of that truth? Here's one. I love Margaret, right? And that's, that's a transcendent truth. That is forever. That is for sure. And then one of the manifestations that come out of that is I kiss her. Okay, so the transcendent truth, I love her, that's forever. The manifestation of that transcendent truth is kissing. But if my lips were cut off by a tragic chainsaw accident, <laughs> it could happen, and I couldn't kiss anymore, the manifestation would have to change, right? But the transcendent truth would still be true. So there's the transcendent truth, and that's forever, and it's just as true now as it was in Rome, and just as true now as it was in Israel, and just as true now as it was in Eden. It's a transcendent truth. And then there's the way that that truth manifests itself, or the way that it shows up. And that might change with time, or with culture, or with chainsaw accidents. Yeah? So here's an example. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a transcendent truth. Parents should teach their children to respect their elders, including the parents. That's a transcendent truth. You agree? All the parents said? Yeah, that's transcendent, baby. And the manifestation of that truth was, in the Old Testament, if a kid talked back to his dad, they took him to the edge of town and stoned him to death. Okay, that's a manifestation. So is it still true today that parents should teach their children to respect them? Yeah, it's a transcendent truth. Should we stone our teenagers when they roll their eyes at us? The answer is no, okay, let's, no. <laughs> Come on, parents. <laughs> I'm gonna need to hear you say no. That, <laughs> I could be like liable or something. So the truth, the truth is transcendent. The manifestation of that truth might change with time and with culture. So let's talk about a couple of examples of this. Let me give you a real world modern one. Um, many years ago, we had a young lady that used to lead worship with us on stage. Her name was Allison. I think she was 18 at the time of all this. A really good singer, loved the Lord, just a really sweet girl, really sweet family, just a, a great, great kid. And so, so Allison would be up here leading worship and you know, she's uh, 17, 18, something like that. And she used to wear these skirts that were like not, not short, but like short-ish, okay? And also they were the kind of, I don't know what they call like they were, um, they weren't like this, they weren't like close, they weren't like this, they like kind of went out like that. Is that a thing? Is that, am I, I don't know. Just nod, I'll keep going. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So like they kind of went out like that, right? And so here's the problem. She's wearing this short-ish skirt and it kind of goes out like that and the stage is four feet off the ground so the people in the front row, it was like an uncomfortable thing going on. You with me or do I need to go into graphic detail? Okay, you're with me. Okay, so now put yourself in my shoes. 
I got to talk to this 17-year-old girl about this. That was before we had joy. And so it was on me to have this conversation with her. And it's like, how am I going to say this to her? Because I don't want her to think like I'm some weirdo or something. And I don't want her to think that I'm suggesting that she's doing something wrong because she's not. She was, she was not being flirty or, you know, seductive. It wasn't nothing like that. It was nothing like that. And I, how am I going to have this talk with this sweet, sweet girl? And so, like, I, you know, I prayed and I dreaded and I put it off. And I finally said, okay, I mean, this, this is just going to have to happen. I'm going to have to have this talk with her. And so, you know, okay, so here's what's happening, Allison. The stage is four feet high. And, you know, when you're up there, you know, this thing is kind of going. And you can't believe how, like, mature she was and how well she handled it. And she goes, you know what, Pastor? I'm just sorry that I put you in a place that you had to have this conversation with me because I can imagine how uncomfortable this is with you. Of course, I want to honor God, man. What, what, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And I said, well, I mean, we got to do something with the wardrobe here. And she goes, okay, well, how about, I mean, like, I also wear those long dresses, those hippie dresses that go down to the ground. Is those, are those okay? And I said, yeah, please, yes, <laughs> wear that. And she said, uh, well, like, what about, like, jeans and a T-shirt? Yes, do it. Yes, do that. Well, I have, like, capri pants and these long shorts. Are those cool? I said, yes, I love capri pants. I'm not sure what it means, but I love them. Right? And so do that. Yeah, do that thing. And she goes, and then, like, I don't sing every Sunday, so, like, on days that I'm not singing, can I wear these skirts? And I said, yeah, you wear what you want on days you're not singing. We're not four feet below you. So, yeah, just, just do that. So she's like, well, I mean, I just want to, I don't, I don't want to make a mistake, so can we just be, like, can you really lay it out for me? And I said, okay, look, well, you need a rule is what you need. Let me give you a rule. No skirts on stage, Okay. You can wear skirts in, uh, out in the, when you come to church, wear skirts. And you can wear what you want on stage, but not skirts. So the rule is no skirts on stage. And she said, yes, sir. And we all lived happily ever after. <laughs> and it was, it was awesome. It was, it, was, it, was, it was perfect. So was that a true thing, no skirts on stage? Yeah, it was brilliant. It was awesome, right? Okay, now imagine it's 3,000 years from now, right? And somebody is trying to run their church the way they should, which we know is the CBCB way, right? And they dig through all these old relics and they find the notes on that conversation, right? And it says, no skirts on stage. Only now their stage isn't four feet in the air, it's 20 feet below the congregation. And now skirts don't exist anymore, okay? It's 3,000 years from now. Is no skirts on stage still true? No, it doesn't even mean anything anymore, but there is a transcendent truth behind it. Worship leaders should be careful to be modest and avoid anything that distracts or anything that sexualizes worship. Is that still true? No, that's a transcendent truth. No skirts on stage was just a manifestation of the truth. All right, a couple more examples. Here's a transcendent truth. Women should find their identity and their value in God and not the way they look. Transcendent truth. Now, when Paul addressed that, he said, so don't braid your hair, don't wear expensive jewelry, don't wear expensive clothes. If Paul was writing to the church today, he might say, how about less selfies, right? The transcendent truth is women should find their value in God and not the way that they look. The manifestation of that truth might change with time and with culture. Here's a transcendent truth. God's people 
should be separate and holy and should stand out from the rest of the world. One Old Testament manifestation of that transcendent truth is God's people didn't eat bacon. So should God's people still be separate and holy and stand out from the rest of the world? Yes. Does that mean no bacon for us? No. The truth is transcendent. We should stand out and be holy and be separate from the rest of the world. The manifestation of the truth might change with time and with culture. Here's a fun one. Here's a transcendent truth. We should honor God, right? When we come into the presence of God, we should bring like some reverence to that, right? And so one Jewish manifestation, different culture, was that anytime they went to synagogue or anytime they now still go to pray, they wear yarmulke. They wear a little hat on their head, right? Why are they doing that? Because of the transcendent truth. Because of the transcendent truth that we, don't, that we wanna honor God when we come into his presence. Ironically, some of us take our hats off when we pray or when we come into church or when we honor God. The transcendent truth is always true. We should honor God when we come into his presence. In this culture, in this time, one of the ways that we do that is we take our hats off. In that culture, in that time, one of the ways they did that was they put their hats on. Here's another one, this is fun. It would be hard for me to come to church without shaving, right? If I'm growing a beard, that's different, but if I'm not, I don't, I don't wanna come in looking like a wino, right? So, so is, not, I mean, is, is not having facial hair, is that as a way to honor God, is that a transcendent truth? Or is that just a manifestation? It's just a manifestation, because in Leviticus, they were told not to shave their beards. Let them grow, right? That, that's the way, it was, it was dishonoring God if they shaved. Here's my last one, this is my favorite one. How you guys doing? Anybody mad at me yet? Okay, if anybody wants to slash my tires, I'm driving a red Firebird. It's uh, parked out front. Okay, here's a transcendent truth. God's people should love each other and show affection for each other. Transcendent truth? Um, one manifestation of that for Paul was in three letters that he wrote to three different churches. He said that should manifest itself with a holy kiss. But in our church, in our culture, in our time, we're okay with the handshake. Yeah? So you see how we like cherry pick those verses? Do you see how we, because I know, I can, I can see the wheels turning. I know there are people already sending me emails right now. <laughs> and they're, they're not looking because they're doing it like subtly like this on their phones. They're sending me an email right now and it says, women can't teach, women can't lead. The Bible says it. That's what it says. We go by the Bible. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. I know you're typing even as we speak. Um, I even, I even kind of know some of the people that are typing that email, but I'm gonna tell you that in 15 years of pastor of this church, not one of those people has kissed me. <laughs> and I praise Jesus for that. <laughs> for several reasons. And one, and one reason is that's, that's, a manifestation, that's a manifestation of a transcendent truth. Do I want those people to love me? Yes. 
Do I want those people to show me affection? Yes. Let's just leave the kissing out, right? A lot of kissing in this sermon, right? That's weird. Okay. Uh, so, are you guys with me? Is that enough? We can do this all day. Um, so, transcendent truths are not the same thing as cultural manifestation of those truths. Does that make sense? Is it always easy? No, it's really not. It might be hard to read the Bible and differentiate between transcendent truths and cultural manifestations of those truths. It was 2,000 years ago. It's in a different language, different world, different people, different culture. It's hard to know, was that a transcendent truth, what he just said, or was that just a manifestation of a transcendent truth? And I will tell you that I think at least part of Paul's deal with women is just a cultural traditional manifestation of, a, of a, trans, a transcendent truth about something, uh, order, operating in your callings, something. And here's why I think that. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen says, Paul's like making his case in this, right? And he doesn't say, here is the eternal truth from God. Look at his defense. He basically says, he's talking about the shaving their heads and you know, being under a man, you can't talk, only men. And he says, this, this, is, this argument is, this is our custom. You know, this, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we do it. And it sounds like he's saying the basis for this manifestation is not a word from God. It's a cultural tradition. It's a, it's a custom. It's just the way we do it here. It's, it's the way we've always done it. It's what all the churches do, right? In this time, in this culture. So, now it gets hard, right? So how do we start doing this? How do we start separating the manifestations from the truths? And so what is a woman's role in church? And again, I'm gonna say this. I think we need to come at this in humility. And I think we need to admit it can be hard to tell what is a transcendent truth and what is just a manifestation. And I'll tell you that our elders have been kicking this around for about four years. Are we gonna be a complementarian church? or an egalitarian church. So a complementarian church is that thing in the garden, right? They're complementing each other. God created men and women with the same dignity and the same value and the same calling to rule creation, but he designed them to be different and distinct so that they could work together and they could complement each other and each could do what the other couldn't. And also there seems to be this thing about headship kind of as a recurring theme throughout the Bible. So a complementarian says there are some things in church that only a man should do, like maybe teaching on Sunday mornings or maybe being uh, the pastor of the church. An egalitarian says, biblically, the gifts of the Spirit are not specific to men. And Galatians 3.28 says, in Christ, there is no male or female and all through the Bible, women have leadership roles. And Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus is now the head of the church, not men. So an egalitarian says women should be able to do whatever God calls them and gifts them to do. So we've got complementarians and we've got egalitarians. And so what I'm gonna suggest, it's a difficult conversation. I'm gonna have you get up and complementarians over here, egalitarians over here and we're gonna fight this thing out today. 
because obviously we honor God most when we argue and yell and call names, and it really honors God if, like, you actually punch somebody. Um, <laughs> we're not going to do that. So do you want to know what we've come up with? Do you want to know what we've come up with after four years of reading and studying and discussing and arguing and praying and fasting? We haven't been fasting the whole time for four years. Um, let's do this. Let's start with five transcendent truths. Okay? You guys with me? Keep me going, man. This is a hard one. Keep me going. Okay. Five transcendent truths. I think these things don't change. Number one, men and women are created equal in value and dignity. And that value and dignity doesn't come from their maleness or their femaleness. It comes from being created in the image of God. Transcendent truth. Amen? Okay. Number two, God created the genders intentionally distinct and beautifully different so that we can complement each other and work together to carry out the work he's given us. And there are probably some things that, generally speaking, women do better than men. And there are probably some things that, generally speaking, men do better than women. Transcendent truth? Amen? Okay. Number three. However, our natural abilities as men or as women are way less important than the supernatural abilities that we've been given by God. And 1 Corinthians 12 says the Holy Spirit alone decides who gets what gift. Transcendent truth? Amen? Getting quiet. Amen? That's what it says. So God could call and empower anyone to do anything in the church, just like he did in the Old Testament, just like he did in the New Testament, and sometimes his choices went against cultural norms. Transitional truth, or tra transitional, transcendent truth number four. Even if we completely disagree on this item, we can still love each other. We can still serve the kingdom together. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to always think exactly alike. God hasn't called us to uniformity. He's called us to unity. Transcendent truth? Amen? Okay. Number five. As much as we want to get this right, and as hard as we work, and as much as we pray, and as much as we study and dig and argue, as much as we want to get this right, God is so good and so full of grace and kindness that he's going to do what he's always done, and he's going to work all things for good, even our mistakes. Even if we get this wrong, he can still use us and love us, and we have value to the kingdom. Transcendent truth? Amen? Okay. So here is the CBCB manifestation of all those transcendent truths. So don't yay or boo or run out of the room too quick. Um, we are complementarians. We celebrate the distinction and the beauty and the differences between men and women. And we want all parts of the body, men and women, to complement each other by doing what God specifically calls them to do. We are complementarians. And we are egalitarians. And we believe that in Christ there is no male or female, and that God's spirit is in all of us, and God can and always has called men and women to do things that are surprising in their culture. And God can empower a woman to do whatever he chooses to do. He alone decides who he calls and empowers to do what. And we will not superimpose our ideas or our cultural norms over his calling. So we are complementarians and egalitarians. What we believe is so big, it needs its own name. What we believe is so important, it barely fits on one shirt. 
We are complementary egalitarians. <laughs> yeah? That's, listen, we don't believe for a minute that the Father or that Jesus or that Paul hates women or condones misogyny in the church. It's the opposite of that. The Bible calls us. All of us. To bring our God-ordained differences and distinctions and talents and ideas and passions and education and experience and maleness and femaleness and lay them at the foot of the cross. He calls all of us to go where he tells us to go and to do what he tells us to do, not by our talent, not by our strength, not by our wisdom, not by our maleness or our femaleness, but by his strength and in his power and by his calling. Amen? Amen. We are complementary egalitarians. You want to try to say it? Complementary egalitarians. Who's in love with that term? The first three hands I see, I'm going to give a t-shirt. One, two, three. Ready? Boom. Boom. This has got to go up because the kid's going to try to intercept. Right in the head. Sorry. Medical team, could we get up here? Uh, got another injury. Um, that's enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for loving us and choosing us and calling us. Lord, I thank you for the distinction that you showed us in Genesis that Adam, that human beings are different than the rest of the world because we are created in your image and we are called, whether we're males or females, we are called to do what you call humanity to do. And you've created us differently, beautifully, distinctly, independently. You've created us, but just like Paul says later, men are not independent of women, and women are not independent of men. We need each other. So Lord, thank you for these differences and distinctions that you've given us. I thank you for the things that women generally do better than men, and I thank you for the things that men generally do better than women, and I thank you for Jesus because in him there is no male or female. In him we're, we're relying not on our maleness, not on our femaleness, not on our own talents or skills or abilities, we're relying on the Holy Spirit to call us and to gift us and to elevate us and to empower us to do what he calls us to do. So please call us and empower us to do your will, male and female, in Jesus' name, amen. And amen, that's it. God bless you guys, have a great week.